This episode is sponsored by Flatfile. Importing customer data into your product has traditionally been a time-consuming, painful process until now. With Flatfile's data onboarding platform, product teams can better enable customers to seamlessly import their data with one simple click. Your world-class product deserves a world-class data import experience. To learn about how Flatfile's platform can help you reduce customer frustration and instantly improve time to value, go to flatfile.com slash product-led-alliance. Hey everyone, and welcome to For the Love of Product, brought to you by the Product-Led Alliance. I'll be your host, Tiana Hanson-Drury, Chief Product Officer at Mina Technologies and all-around passionate product aficionado. Each episode, we'll be looking at the head and the heart behind product-led growth, the passion and the practice of product, and we'll be picking the brains of seasoned CPOs and heads of products, as well as visionary founders and investors getting their inside stories. Enjoy! Welcome, everyone, to another episode of For the Love of Product. I am very excited to be joined today uh, by Christine Dupuy. Uh, Christine is a passionate product and people leader with an approach anchored in evidence-based strategies. That's going to be speaking the language to many of our listeners today. Um, her skill set and her reputation is for driving measurable growth and fostering team safety. She is the head of product at heyday.ai. However, you may soon understand that more as Hootsuite because it was recently acquired um, by Hootsuite. And Christine's uh, work there is leading a team of product managers, marketers, and UXers. Um, her own personal mission is to equalize the field, whether that is mentoring women in tech or helping small businesses compete with the giants. Um, these are areas that really motivate her outside of kind of measurable growth and evidence-based strategies. Um, she recently co-founded APM Montreal, a community-run training program which helps talented people from all backgrounds enter the product management field and thrive. So if you're in Montreal, be sure to check that out. And before moving back home um, and stepping into her current role, Christine had worked at uh, Google for five years out of San Francisco. Um, she worked on really interesting projects such as developing the infrastructure which authenticates billions of users access to products like Gmail and YouTube, um, just a single Google account. Uh, while she was there, she also led multi-year cross-functional initiatives spanning product and marketing to 5x the engagement of small businesses with their listing on maps via Google Business. So um, she, she also, you know, before joining Google, had worked in a variety of different strategy roles, including at McKinsey and Company, District M, and Leadership for Educational Equity, a nonprofit dedicated to civic leadership in the education sector. So Christine's got a lot going on, and she brings a lot of different passions. Um, it all started with a degree in industrial engineering, um, and she holds a master's degree in applied mathematics uh, as well. So Christine, where are you dialing in from? I'm going to guess it is Montreal, but is that true? Yes, I'm in Montreal today. Um, very happy to, to join you for this. Very exciting. <laughs> We're very excited to have you too. How's the summer uh, in Montreal? What's it like there? Um, interestingly enough, we have had the, uh, the coldest month of July we've ever had. Uh, I was reading about this the other day, but in, uh, any other times I would have told you it's beautiful. It's sunny. Montreal summers are, are great for festivals and restaurants and terraces. So, um, if you want to come visit Montreal, come during the the, the summer, not the winter. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like what I tell people about Seattle when they ask me <laughs> the best summers in the world. <laughs> 
Um, all right, great. Well, we're really happy to have you. And before we dive in, I mean, Christine, when you and I first started talking about having you on the pod, we were totally, you know, speaking about heyday and your story. But obviously now there's the Hootsuite acquisition. Uh, for our listeners, can you give us a rundown of, you know, what's what's happened and, you know, how is life post-acquisition announcement? Yeah, sure. It's, I mean, it's really, really exciting. So uh, I've been with Heyday for roughly a year and a half. And uh, when I joined, the mission was really to move from, you know, to, to use our, our seed fund to really find our product market fit and, and enable growth. And uh, that's what we've done in the last uh, year or so. And it's just, you know, this is just the, uh, the next milestone in our, our journey. It's really exciting. We found a strategic partner who wants to, to accelerate our growth even more. And, um, you know, the, the fit could not be better between the two companies. You know, Hootsuite, they have all the social channels. Um, they're, they're there for, for the marketing piece. And then Heyday is there for, for supporting with AI and scaling the conversations and, and being able to integrate with the e-com. So it's really you know, for, for anybody out there who, who's trying to grow online um, with those two products together, they, they have uh, everything all in one. Yeah, that sounds not only great for the product, but it also seems to really align with kind of your personal interests and missions as well. So I'm sure that uh, it's uh, a motivating factor for you to know that that's where, where the next few years will take you and the team. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, you're, you're right that we've been uh, we've been focused on both kind of enterprise and SMB, but always a bit more, uh, you know, in companies like this where you're trying to be product led, but you're also bootstrapped, and your 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 enterprise customers are really important. They have a big voice, so now we're excited, especially to have enough resources to be able to to work on both fronts and really make AI um, accessible to all the small businesses out there for sure. Excellent. So for those who maybe aren't as familiar with Heyday, tell, I mean, you've kind of given an idea of what you're bringing to the, to the acquisition partnership, but give people an idea of, you know, if you had to give the elevator pitch for what your product is and what the reason it exists. Um, I think people would love to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. Heyday is a messaging platform for, for customers uh, who want to interact with a brand. So the brand sets up Heyday, they connect all their channels. So it can be Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, you name it, Google, even you can do messaging on Google now. Uh, so the brand connects all their channels and bring this into one inbox. And we deploy a chatbot across all these channels. So the idea is to uh, get rid of a lot of the noise that comes with the new opening new channels, always uh, an insecurity with our brands uh, to, to manage the volume. So, so we're there to automate most of it and really route the high value questions to the right people. And uh, we see it more and more now. It's not just for support and post-sales question. It's a lot also to get help in finding the right product. So I'm sure everybody can relate to this situation where you're on a website and you're not sure whether you should buy A or B. And if you were in a store, you would just talk to somebody and ask and they would help you. Uh, but you're online, you're left on your own. And we know that when there's um, overload uh, on choices, people can make no choice at all, which means in this situation to leave the website. Uh, so it's really important for brands to be there uh, to give that guidance. And as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's hard to offer that guidance at scale. Um, and that's where you need AI to do this successfully. So that's, uh, that's Heyday in a nutshell. 
well done. And it makes perfect sense. The product market fit that you described seems really clear. Um, I, I think it's interesting knowing that when you came in and when you were recruited in, right, you kind of mentioned that you were focusing on taking those seed funds to really prove that product market fit. How, uh, how clear was it when you first started versus where, how you're able to rattle off today, exactly what you guys do and what your value is? Like what type of a transformation has it been? Oh, it's been, it's been a significant transformation because, well, first of all, when I joined, it was literally one or two weeks before COVID hit in Canada and we were all sent home. So I was very lucky to show up in the office, say hi to everybody, and then basically uh, work from home for, for the rest of that year. Um, and, you know, our, the, the support aspect of our product, I think we had understood pretty well, uh, but we were at a at many different junctions, essentially. Did we wanna to go towards smaller player or larger players? Did we wanna focus more on support or on sales, focus on connecting the channels? There's a CRM aspect. So, you know, in product world, that's a lot of uh, different potential product strategies and product directions. So there was um, a lot of, a lot of uh, trial and error, I would say, but also a lot of uh, listening to the market. What are customers telling us? Where do we have traction? Where, where are we pushing things that, don't seem to uh, to to be um, being well received, and sometimes and sometimes that's just like you're too early on the market, right? Like we came out saying like people are now shopping on Instagram, and two years ago people were like, are you sure? Because not really, and and now you know um, Facebook acquired customer, and and Google made the agreement with Shopify, and you see everybody's going in that direction. Um, so I would say we were maybe a little early and the evolution has been that with COVID, the market has really accelerated and, and caught up uh, on our vision. So we became extremely relevant in those few months. And that, um, that's how we got there. Yeah, it, it's amazing. I think most of us um, working in product know to a certain extent what it's like to be early on a trend, right? Um, because we're constantly looking to solve problems. And sometimes we end up focusing on problems that are, as you say, early to the market understanding the need for that. For someone who's listening to this, based on what you've just gone through, any advice for them? Um, if they have that sneaking suspicion that, hey, maybe we're a bit early, you know, obviously you guys have gone on to have a really successful um, outcome here. Any advice that you would share with people? I would say, like, hang on, hang on to the value that the customers see in that moment, even if it's not the value that you want to bring to them. That value is key because your customer will grow with you and evolve their mindset, but they won't actually stick with you if you're not providing any value at all. Um, so one example is we were very focused on chat or conversational, social all the way, but we realized that our customers were still using email. And if we just had a chat, it was going to be a big cost for the customer to have their, their tool for email and their tool for chat. They're going to have to pay double licenses for everything. So we had to kind of go backwards, uh, so to speak, and I'm using quotes because for us, it was like, no, that's not where the world is going. Um, but that's where our customers were. So sometimes it's like, don't, don't necessarily let go of that great idea, but make sure that you're adding value today uh, so that people will follow you and listen to you and buy into that future vision. Absolutely. The paint the picture of the sunlit uplands, but help them get there as well. Right. Exactly. Exactly. 
So Christina, I, I know one of the things that, you know, I've learned is that you've recently returned to Montreal, um, which implies obviously you've been elsewhere. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, what it was first like to, to leave Montreal. You know, where did you think you were going? Um, are you surprised to see where you are today? Like, I'd love to know a bit more about your narrative there. Yeah, wow, that's a, that's a very broad question. I'll try not to uh, ramble for too long. Uh, but it, it was, I mean, it's such a journey. I, I would have not thought I would be here today necessarily in, in this situation doing what I'm doing. So um, maybe when I tell it backwards, it kind of seems so intentional and connected to each other. But that's one thing I want to put out there. And as a disclaimer is that uh, none of this was was really planned, right? It just kind of happened. And, um, you know, if I if I start back when I was um, when I was in university and I was studying in engineering and, and doing my master's in math, um, you know, I was kind of uh, really good in school, you know, like great student, et cetera. Uh, all the doors are open. What am I going to do? I could do anything I want. Uh, you know, that kind of mindset, which is always very uh, exciting. And um, I, I went and worked at McKinsey and Company, a, um, a consulting firm. I had, had a, lot of, a lot of options and I was kind of in a mindset where I really wanted to stretch myself and, and uh, do something difficult and, and continue to achieve. And uh, so I picked McKinsey, kind of the hard job where everybody was telling me like, those guys work really hard, it's gonna be rough. And I was like, okay, I can, I can do this. Like school, school was easy and everybody told me university was gonna be hard. So like, this is, this is where I'm meant to be. This is where I wanna be pushed. And um, what I found soon after starting McKinsey is that I was getting pushed in really um, all sorts of directions, some of them which felt really good, like growth, and some of them which felt more like, am I, the, am I in, in the right place? Am I, am I meant for this? You know, so I would hear things sometimes like, hey, um, you know, you should wear your glasses instead of your contacts so you, you look older and more, more credible to your clients. And maybe you should smile a little less too, because that makes you feel kind of girly and uh, blonde almost you know like that was kind of the language back in the days and you know granted that was more than 10 years ago but um, there's been a lot of evolution on that front and there still isn't enough if you ask me personally but anyway um, I was you know I, I was in that world of men in suits basically and um, you know it was it wasn't as uh, it was difficult to say the least and you know that's where I was like okay now that prompted a lot of questions for me in terms of what I really want to do. And um, I try to open up to new avenues and new doors I haven't necessarily thought of. So maybe, you know, with McKinsey, you travel a lot as well. So I had been to Chicago, I had been to New York, India, I was all over the world. And I was like, wow, like there's so much stuff happening out there. Maybe I'm not meant to be here, but I'm definitely meant to be somewhere and to do something great. Uh, so I set myself up to meet a lot of people and you know, I have, I'm very grateful. I have the privilege of having that network from, from McKinsey. So they have a lot of alumni doing all sorts of things. So you, you go through this process where you have coffee chats with a bunch of ex McKinsey's who tell you where they went after and what they decided to do. And that led me to uh, work in Washington, DC in the US for the first time, uh, permanently based there in that nonprofit um, called Lee, um, Leadership for Educational Equity. And that felt really good. Like that felt like success. Okay, I made it. I'm now working in a nonprofit on my personal mission to equalize the field, make education accessible for everybody. Wow, this is so great. 
Um, so, you know, that, that felt good for a few months, I would say. <laughs> but then soon enough, what I started to notice is, um, well, impact was really hard to measure. And as somebody coming from an engineering background and master's in math who was doing consulting engagement of three months at a time to change a whole company around, all of a sudden you're working on like one year, two year, three year plan with very little change. It's very hard to measure policy change. Uh, you're in a nonprofit, so that kind of goes with not having a lot of resources. Um, so, you know, all these factors together made me um, start to re-question myself again and think, again, am I in the right place? Am I where, where I want to be? Am I adding the kind of value I want to add to this world? And um, I, I seeked something, again, like I wanted to go back to the, okay, I want to find the intersection of being challenged and working at my full pace, but also on something that feels relevant to me and, and close to my mission. So I decided I wanted to work at Google. And from that day on, it, it took me a while to get there, like, to be honest, probably almost a year, uh, but I applied over and over again. I stalked people on LinkedIn that had connections to other people I knew. Uh, you know, I, I really used kind of all the tools in the bag to eventually uh, land a job at Google. And I moved from DC to California and then uh, started working there. Did a bunch of things over there. So I started as a researcher. I moved into product at Google. So there was a bit of a interview process there to do the transition. And that was a lot of studying computer science and things that I, unfortunately I had not studied in, uh, in school before, but um, very interesting to learn, of course. And uh, yeah, I finally kind of made it and I'm using quotes here, but I made it to product manager at Google. And then again, I thought, great, I'm, I'm really where I wanna be now. I'm working with fantastic people on a great mission. Um, you know, work is uh, motivating and people are nice and I'm at Google and I'm traveling like, wow, like, isn't this success? Isn't this what everybody out there wants? And God, I'm so lucky. But again, like after a few months, <laughs> now you're starting to see a pattern here. I was like, wait a minute, like, why doesn't this feel so good? Like, why, why is there a gap between how I think I should be feeling and what I'm actually feeling? And that's where um, I started looking more internally. So up until now, I was very externally focused, climbing the ladder, getting the best thing. What did everybody view as the best? Everybody wants to work at Google. That's where I want to work, right? So it was very much about what others want and what others uh, perceive as success. So in the end, what I think really made me evolve and come out of that specific cycle. And to be honest, I'm saying I'm out of it, but not, you know, that's, that's a, a big statement. I think it's more that I've uh, raised my self-awareness about it. And I'm, I'm really trying to evolve, evolve in a new direction uh, to be more internally focused. And the kind of stuff that, that led, led me to, uh, to being here, are a lot of discussions with mentors, basically, and people asking me tough questions and, and making me think. And um, there was also in California, when I was there, a big movement on uh, mindfulness and learning how to meditate. And that was um, something that I picked up and try to apply to myself. And that was really helpful. So it's not magic and it's surprisingly uh, deceitful because you know what I'm saying is I, I meditated more and I talked to more people but all of that uh, really led me to to believe that I could play a bigger role like a role that is more closely aligned with who I am the type of change that I want to have 
that was going to be more accessible to me in Montreal because of my network, because I knew how to get my way around, because of how policy and government work over here. Uh, you know, back in the U.S., it was Trump. I wasn't a citizen in the U.S. So a lot of practical, like a mix of practical and emotional reasons. And it's not to say that I knew exactly what I was going to come to Montreal to do, but I just generally knew that if I stayed over there, I was going to be in this big world of uh, the big tech companies and continuing to, to measure myself according to other people's um, vision of success and trying to, you know, be in that grind. And coming back to Montreal was kind of my way out of that, uh, coming back to roots and really focusing uh, on what, what was going to be important for me um, in that time in my life. So um, that's where, uh, well, I joined a first company, um, which, you know, had a bit of a, a few bumps there. It was very, uh, for product people out there, it was a very sales driven company. So nothing wrong with that. But as a product manager, it can be really hard. Um, and, you know, I, I infused all the product knowledge that I knew into that company. I set them up with OKRs. I did a few things, but I, I knew it was going to be really hard for me to, to continue to, to work against that. And um, then, I, then I joined Heyday. And the reason I picked Heyday is because the CEO was actually a, uh, an ex-product manager. Uh, so I knew that he was going to get me and they didn't have product, you know, because he, as a CEO, he was a product manager. They grew the company for a while without any uh, product function. Um, so when, when they brought me in, they were really at that point, like I mentioned earlier about like, okay, now we have to find product market fit and grow and accelerate. And at the same time, you're externally starting to talk to investors and, you know, that's where the, the CEO, like you need to break that down in, in two and have somebody more internally focused on product and somebody more externally focused on telling the story. Uh, so for me, it was the right timing. It was the right job. It was the right people. Um, so it was kind of the right everything. And um, when I once I landed there and I started to see what I could contribute to, to the company and how much interest there was in Montreal around product management, um, that then led me into starting that uh, product management uh, program, APM Montreal. Um, so it's kind of like it all came together, you know, in the last year and uh, it's all of that just just because I took a risk, you know, I, I kind of let go of my my nice, comfortable, uh, <laughs> nice Google job, you know, and um, I, I took the risk to move back to Montreal without really knowing what it was going to be like. And um, I'm glad I did. I'm really glad I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to dive in a little bit more. One of the themes, you know, you, and you even called it out, there's there's a bit of a thread here, right? Which is this, you know, chasing, um, chasing, you know, external validation, right? And um, you may know this woman because uh, you mentioned on meditation, but there is a woman, Tara Brock, who is an American psychologist who um, is big on, on, you know, meditation. And she has a book called Radical Acceptance, um, and I remember, I don't remember the specifics of the, the quote, but it was basically like when you're focused, when you're so focused on striving to impress everybody else, right? Um, you are by default strengthening this narrative that we're not good enough as we are, right? Um, and I think it's something that probably a lot of our listeners 
would identify with because we are uh, an ambitious cohort of people, right? Product lovers. Like we love optimization. We love to solve problems. We love to share those successes. Um, and yet I think you are an example of how sometimes, you know, chasing that external validation actually doesn't give you the satisfaction that you're looking for. Yeah. And I, I mean, I totally uh, agree with that. And may, maybe just a, a twist on that, if I may, is that you may not be unhappy. Like, I, I, I can't say I was unhappy at Google. That would be a lie. Uh, but I certainly, there was something that felt off. Like, I felt, I felt like I could have more impact or I could do more. And it, it didn't feel as satisfying as what I thought it would. So maybe that's another cue sometimes that... Um, your your growth, you know, you're not at the end of it, and there's still room to uh, to continue to grow and and find yourself. And I think we're always kind of finding ourselves in life. Um, it's just the journey. Yeah, uh, you. I mean, you hope so, right? You hope you live a life examined, and that you're kind of questioning. You know, are you fulfilled? Are you motivated? Are you are you driven? Um, by what you're doing, especially in the day and age like ours, where so much of our identity is tied up in what we do for work. Um, but I don't know that everybody has expertise in knowing how to listen to ourselves and to identify those things. Um, I know you and your journey, you certainly had some really huge successes. You also had some really difficult moments that you've, you've shared a little bit about. How did you start to hone that kind of feedback, right? That feedback loop from yourself and start to kind of put names on the feelings you were identifying and working through. Because as you mentioned, it all sounds incredibly simple right now. Like, oh, wow, I just need to go out and do what Christine did. Like, that's cool. Uh, but I, I can guess, uh, and you've, you've kind of alluded that it wasn't that clean, right? So for someone who's thinking about how to pay attention to, are they feeling fulfilled, which sounds like such a big question, um, you know, any, anything looking back that you think of? Yeah, something that was huge. For, so of course, there's all the obvious tips of like journaling and meditating and all that. So I don't, you know, there's a lot of blogs out there that will tell you how to do that. And it's as simple as picking a couple of tips and tricks that really work for you and trying things and being open to that. So I would say the, the biggest thing is being open to it and um, accepting to be vulnerable a little bit. So I had, I had some really uncomfortable questions, like discussions with mentors. Uh, and I think what we tend to do, and I don't know if women do this particularly more than men, but we laugh things off a little bit and it's like, well, oh, I don't really know what I want to do. Ha ha. Like I'll figure it out later. And um, that's really not putting as, as much value and seriousness on yourself than you deserve. And, uh, it, it all comes from a place of, um, self-love essentially, right? If you, if you love yourself and you know, you have a lot to contribute to the world, you will more naturally be open to trying tips and, and trying to find that versus, um, I think we tend to, um, versus nothing. We can, we can leave that out. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think you're right. And I think certainly I'm also speaking from a female perspective, so I can only bring that per that perspective, but, you know, laughing things off, making, um, 
allowances for certain things. You know, I find it's my immediate reaction, but actually it's it's not the right path because it doesn't force the conversation on things that really matter, whether it's, you know, behavior that's unacceptable or whether it's again, doubling down on that self-love and thinking about what is it that is really important for me in my career. Now I'm gonna spend the time to invest in myself. Uh, I think it takes a lot of strength of character to, to do that and to realize like, no, I'm going to fight against that tendency to kind of smooth over or dismiss, um, and actually kind of go deeper in this, into this point. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm more an extrovert. So that, that, um, strength for me came from people bouncing back questions with me and talking with me a bit more than me reflecting on by myself. Um, like I said, like there's a lot of tips and, and trying a few and finding what works, but basically not accepting to not evolve and not accepting the status quo. I think it starts from there. And then that strength, um, we all, we all have it. I, uh, when, when I, when I say my mission, like that I give myself is I want to try and equalize the field out there for people. That's because I deep, deep down inside believe that everybody has it in them. It's just, we don't all have the same circumstances in life. We don't get the same training, coaching, um, resources. So, um, yeah, the bar is, is, uh, not at the same place for everybody and being able to reflect and reach out for, for what you need and, and hustling to find those, um, those tools has been really important for me, to me. And to get there, I had to put myself out there and I had to request coffee chats with people who said no and go to other coffee chats and, and feel unprepared for questions. And you know there was, there was a lot of that, uh, but I had people who cared for me and wanted to see me succeed. And the more I focused on those kind of people and the people that wanted to see me succeed and what they had to say, uh, the more I felt and became successful rather than, uh, again, letting other people measure what, what success should be like in society and trying to measure up to that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, you know, it's so important for those of us who are listening to think about your colleagues, right. Um, or the people in your life and, you know, uh, kind of the, the perspective that they have started from different points, right? I think uh, for any of us who have done any kind of, you know, equity, you know, diversity, inclusion work, there's a really powerful video that just talks about, um, shows a bunch of people starting on a field, right? And starting to run a race. And it shows kind of how people who are disadvantaged, um, uh, it's, it's about privilege and the role it plays, but people who are disadvantaged, they start so much further back behind yes. the starting line. Right. Yeah. And, and it's a great metaphor for showing kind of the extra work that goes into just getting an equal shot. Right. So equalizing is so much more than just saying, cool, everyone who comes to the front line gets the fair shot. It's about getting everyone to that front line as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I, I would love to, to talk a little bit about how your passion for equalizing a field, right, is playing out in the product work that you do. Um, how do you see it show up and kind of, you know, the work that you're doing both at Heyday and now Hootsuite, um, but also just as a discipline, you know? Oh, I love, I love that question. Um, and like really on top of my head, there's kind of two big pillars that I would, I would say where this will really show up first in terms of how I build the team and then in terms of how we make decisions. So in terms of team, 
uh, I have built when I when I joined Haiti, there was only basically a uh, a product manager slash product owner, uh, just like one person trying to, you know, organize the sprints and almost like a project manager, if you will. Um, and when I joined, uh, we brought on a UX person that I hired from the uh, externally and a product manager that was basically a transfer internally. So that was like my starting team. And uh, from that, for that team of three, or including me four, we grew to now a team of eight. And uh, by the way, I have like three jobs open on my team. So <laughs> check out our website, <laughs> shameless plug. Uh, but um, yeah, I really grew that team. And I've been looking to add people to the team who have really diverse perspective and find people who have uncommon path, um, basically giving a chance to people. Uh, like if you look at the numbers on my team, I know it, they're small numbers because it's just eight of us, but um, it's five women and three men. Uh, which is very rare in an AI tech company and a product team. Um, and we have significant um, representation in terms of like racial and, and religious um, backgrounds. So I'm very proud of the team that I built. And I think that's just walking the talk. And, you know, I that's a whole other topic on like how to hire a diverse team. But that's where um, I would say my internal values really show up in that space. And then the second pillar, being data-driven, especially in AI, it's so, so important because you are at risk of uh, replicating patterns. And I've, I've seen this, you know, the, the echo chambers of the world and the algorithms that we have on Facebook and YouTube that pushes kind of content. I think every one of us working in tech has a huge role to play to make sure that the products that we build for tomorrow are built in an unbiased uh, data-driven way. So that's probably also kind of why I, I did a master's in math and I'm very kind of quant driven, but I believe that that's a really good way to remove bias um, from decisions. I love that. Um, I, I'm curious about what you're most excited about in this next stage for, um, you know, for Heyday slash Hootsuite uh, with such a recent change coming in and already so much growth that you've helped contribute to. What's next? What are you most excited about for you and your team? I, there's so many things. <laughs> I'm just like running the list in my head. I'm really excited that, um, first of all, we get to celebrate a success story in Montreal. And that's great, you know, like people think tech is only in San Francisco and, and being able to, to have that here and allow everybody to celebrate and, and make Montreal shine. I think I, I'm excited about making the Canadian tech scene um, kind of world-class. And um, so that's kind of on a more uh, higher level. And then more in terms of the team and what we're gonna build, it's really exciting. Um, at Hootsuite, we're bringing all the AI expertise that we have to their other products. They're gonna bring their products to um, what we're doing. So there's, there's gonna be some really nice synergies there. And it just feels like our company leaped forward like a couple of years and um, like, not, I don't want to say it was easy, but it, it feels like we just got a big push, you know, like when the wind is behind your back and like, it, it just feels like we were going somewhere and now we're going even faster. Um, so I think that's what people get really excited about, like having new colleagues, uh, new processes, new resources to do everything. That's, we, we needed that. <laughs> that sounds great. I mean, one of the things that you and I talked about when we were getting um, kind of planning this recording was 
you know, and you, you've kind of referenced it on today's um, in, in discussion, which is, you know, just setting the direction is good enough um, to get moving and you don't need to have it all figured out. And it sounds like things are definitely getting going and you guys are in the right direction. Uh, it'll be exciting to see where things go over the next 12 to 18 months um, as everything gets sorted through the opposition. And it goes from just like news to actually being uh, every day. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. So Christine, I mean, one of the, the narratives that you've told us throughout is that, you know, there's been a lot of hardships um, and part of them have been just because you're such a driven person, but you've definitely faced a lot of sexism in, in your career as well. Uh, you know, it didn't start in the working world though for you, did it? Uh, no, actually. And it's, it's funny you ask uh, this way because I feel like it was, almost inter like I internalize it in a way that I hadn't realized until more recently this is such a big topic and we're talking about it as women we're talking about it more and more and now I look back and I'm like wait a minute like that was so sexist so for example once I was um I was in the elevator in engineering school and uh, this guy walked in the elevator and he kind of looked me up and down and he said wow I didn't realize we uh we changed the criteria for uh, who gets uh, accepted into the school you know and um, I remember back in the day thinking almost like, oh, he thinks I'm pretty. Like, is this a compliment or something, you know? But um, all these little hints. And even when, when I was teaching, I was a teaching assistant through my, through my master's. And I had students who would uh, write like their phone number on their test and, and think it's funny or stuff like that. And it's just, it's just a show like this was such an, another world. And I, I was living through that. And I just, yeah, like I'm saying, I just, internalized it I guess into into something that was normal and um and it shouldn't be <laughs> it, shouldn't be. it really shouldn't be yeah I mean you know when you share that story with me you know I shake my head because I've been there too and I think a lot of people have unfortunately um and I'm glad that you're sharing it because you know when it comes back to us thinking about you know do we are we are we too quick to kind of smooth the waters, right? Are we too quick to kind of put people at ease? Um, I think that that has lasting impacts on us and, uh, and it's, it's hard, but it's worth it to confront those things when they happen um, because they're really not acceptable uh, and they're not fair and they're a type of work and a type of um, unpaid work that we have to deal with that takes us away from putting our mental energies towards the job that we've been hired to do. So. Uh, thanks for sharing that story. I, I'm sorry that, unfortunately, that's a thread that many of us have had to to weave into our story. So uh, it's that time of the show where I get to ask my favorite question. Um, so if there was a museum that was dedicated to the most important products in the world, it doesn't have to be the most successful, it doesn't have to be uh, the best performing, it just needs to meet your definition of importance. What would you argue should be in there and why? Well, I had a couple on there because I uh, <laughs> I had prepped for this question. Um, I'm gonna go my first. The, my first one is the printer, and the reason I say printing and the printer is uh, because you know throughout this interview I'm really emphasizing how I think everybody has it in them to go somewhere, but we all need a bit of a push from the outside, and I think access to information is a huge one. And so what we do with printing essentially is we went from. Uh, you know, select few people knowing what's going on and having access to science and information and even the news um, 
to kind of democratizing that for everyone and then you know the internet and social media and all that helps distribute it more of it but i think uh printing was the the very start of scaling the access to information Oh, I love that. Absolutely. And now here you are with a uh, AI product that's helping scale communication. Uh, it, the world has come a long way from printing important notices, but I agree with you. That was foundational to being able to take from one to many, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Christine, it's been so lovely to have you on the show today. Thank you for sharing your story with us. And we'll all be rooting for Hootsuite as well as APM. Um, and maybe you'll get some candidates who uh, reach out for those open roles. I sure hope so. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was, it was lovely. It was really uh, fun to, uh, to look back on my journey. And I hope, um, I hope this is uh, helpful you know, for, for everyone out there. It will be. And we're all rooting for the Canadian tech scene. Yes. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. Be sure to share the word of product-led growth far and wide and let your colleagues, friends, family, neighbors, and anyone you think who would like to know that there's a kick-ass product podcast on offer from the Product-Led Alliance. If you haven't already, don't forget to sign up to the Slack community and check out all our other great content, upcoming events, and other ways to get involved at productledalliance.com. And let's come back again next time to talk more about the head, the heart of product.